kind of show this week. The Dolphins in Depth show with star of the show, Barry Jackson. Oh, my goodness. Where Barry Jackson, did you, like, conk Adam Beasley over the head with a club and just take his microphone? It's so funny because I gave Beasley a Greyhound ticket, and he just got on the bus and left. So apparently I've been left with the podcast with you. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I wish you would have given me a, a Greyhound ticket or at least done the second best thing, got me on trailways. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I or Amtrak, and I would have happily gone out of town also. I am Taddy of the show, Armando Salguero. So, Barry, welcome to the show. Welcome to your throne. And um, we're a couple of weeks from free agency. We're a month from the draft. Is it a month yet? No, it's more than a month, isn't it? It is April 29th is the first day. And uh, who are the Dolphins drafting, Barry? (laughs) Well, I know you you and I have talked about this off-air, and I strongly advocate trading down. As enticing as Jamar Chase would be at three, a case certainly could be made for Devonta Smith. I just see a real opportunity to pick up additional draft inventory, whether it's from Philadelphia at six, Carolina at eight, maybe even a little bit lower. You could still maybe move down to 10 and get a Jalen Waddle. So I am in the trade down camp, unless, of course, Deshaun Watson's available. Right. And that that is an interesting uh, topic in and of itself. You know, it's interesting. Last week, John McClain, who basically runs the beat uh, in Houston, he has covered the Oilers slash Titans slash Texans for over 40 years, uh, he came out with the, the not the Dolphins, but the Texans should finally succumb and trade Deshaun Watson. And everyone around the league looks at that, and if McLean says it, uh, one of two things is true. Number one, uh, the Texans are are thinking this, or number two, The issue has hit critical mass, and he's ahead of the curve. Um, And I'm thinking, I can see Deshaun Watson being traded. I've I've resisted the idea. I really have. I don't think it's good work by Nick Casario to trade him no matter what, but I can see them actually doing it. Yes, I could too. What's interesting from a Dolphins standpoint is, there's probably no team affected more by the timing of this than the Dolphins because Miami's chance hinges entirely on when the Texans decide to trade him, if they decide to trade him. If it's before the draft, I would say the Dolphins have as good a chance as anybody, maybe slightly less than the Jets, with the Jets picking a two and the Dolphins a three, but certainly a decent chance to get him. But if this drags beyond the draft, I can't see any way the Dolphins acquire him in August or September or October Because at that point, look at all the teams that would have more to offer the Texans than Miami. You'd have at least a dozen teams with good veteran quarterbacks who could offer them to Houston at any moment, like Vegas with Carr, even if Baltimore were to surprisingly consider a Lamar Jackson trade. Those types of teams would be in better position later this year to entice the Texans than Miami would be in August or September. And also, if this stretches beyond the draft, Armando, you're looking at suddenly the Lions and the Jets having 
uh, the most draft inventory in 2022. Each of those teams would have two first-round picks that year. The Dolphins next year will be back to having one first-round pick. So any right. chance of the Dolphins getting Watson, it has to be by draft night. And by the way, if the Texans finally do get off the pot, but wait until, like you said, September or at the trade deadline in October, that's just dumb by the Texans because what it means is that they will not likely get maximum return this year on a player that they're giving up this year. They would be looking at draft picks, you know, in 2022 rather than a player coming in and helping right away in 2021 to, you know, to help the team and to start, um, I guess, developing for the team immediately. Exactly. And I guess the question for Miami would be this. If Houston decides, say in mid-April, okay, we're going to listen to offers and take the best one before the draft, how far do you go if you're Miami? Do you stop at three first-round picks at two and Tua? Would you consider Xavier Howard in the deal? Would you consider Christian Wilkins in the deal? I, I think one thing that's out there is that Houston wants a quality player as well as draft picks and potentially a quarterback. I guess that would hinge on whether they like the quarterback that the trading team has. Uh, but where would you stop? I know there's some who say give them anything they want. Are you in that camp, or is there a certain line which you would not cross in this deal? Well, so let me take a step back from that. And this is something that I've hinted at in the pages of the mighty Miami Herald. And I will make it more abundantly clear in future editions. Uh, you mentioned the Dolphins' uh, timeline being the draft. I believe the Dolphins' timeline is the start of free agency. And this is the reason I think that. If we wait until the draft, the Dolphins likely will have done not as much in free agency as what they probably would need to do to fill out a roster with Deshaun Watson. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you trade for Deshaun Watson if you're the Miami Dolphins and you give up draft picks, you need to still fill in for needs that you have on the roster, namely wide receiver, uh, pass rusher perhaps, running back for sure, uh, maybe safety. Those, those uh, holes don't get filled suddenly in the draft if you're giving away your draft picks to get Deshaun Watson. So what I believe is, the Dolphins need to have a date certain by free agency so that if they can trade for Deshaun Watson at the free agency beginning of the league year, they can still fill in those holes around Deshaun Watson with free agents because they're not going to have high draft picks to do it. That, that point is great, and it also puts them really in a tough spot because I think it's unrealistic for them to expect any resolution on Watson by the start of free agency in 13 days. But I think to protect themselves in either case, they need to sign a veteran receiver so they're not relying on the third pick to find a starter. They must spend the money on a starting caliber receiver, at least one in free agency, and they probably should sign at least a couple of rotational front seven players because they can't anticipate filling that in the draft. So I think that would be 
perfect timing for Miami to know before for agency, but it just seems to me to be unlikely. I know both of us have heard that the Dolphins certainly are all in on Watson and tend to pursue it. One interesting thing to me, two weeks away from free agency, Armando, is how aggressive the team is going to be. I know there's at least one person high up in the front office who is advocating another spending spree, clearing out cap space by restructuring contracts, something which you wrote about recently. Doing that and cutting a handful of players could clear out $60 million in space. Now, obviously, the problem with that is eventually you're going to have to pay the bill, right? The bill will come due. New Orleans is experiencing that nightmare now. Uh, there's $60, 70000000 million over the cap. But I do know there is at least some support internally for clearing out the space to be very aggressive in free agency. Whether they actually do that remains to be seen because ultimately it's the call of the owner, right, Chris Greer and Brian Flores. But I do know that it at least has been uh, given some consideration. Is that something you do and just keep pushing back your cap problems knowing that you have an owner who's older and you're trying to win now and you have a difficult schedule? Or would you be more cautious in free agency this year, Armando? Well, uh, so fake GM Mondo <laughs> uh, is worried like real GM Chris Greer and real head coach Brian Flores about making the playoffs? <laughs> I mean, uh, let's face it. They've gone two years, their first two years together, and they didn't make the playoffs. If they take the cautious approach – and go with, we're not spending in free agency. We were 10 and 6 last year, and we're going to, you know, bank on last year's picks developing and then filling in with this year's picks. There's a possibility that they won't make the playoffs this year. And now what do you have, Barry? You have a, 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 an administration that is three for three except for the fact that three for three means you're out of the playoffs all three years. That's not good. No bueno. I agree. I think you have to be aggressive, not only because you can't rely on things happening last year again, like the Xavier 10 interception season, the flood of timely turnovers, uh, you know, just the luck and skill, obviously, but there's some measure of luck involved in plays like the Van Ginkle fumble and scoop for a touchdown, I don't think you can count on all of that happening again. So I think you have to be aggressive in free agency, clear out at least 45 to $55 million in space, sign a top-end receiver. And it doesn't have to be someone as expensive you know, as a Kenny Galladay. It could be someone maybe in the next price range, maybe Curtis Samuel of Carolina, Keelan Cole, Jacksonville, and Nelson Aguilar from Vegas. Sign someone like that. Sign a legitimate front seven starter to replace Landon Roberts or someone who can play a lot of snaps uh, in your defensive line rotation. And I think you need to do all of that, not only because of those, you know, unusual things that happened last year that helped fuel the 10-1 season, but also because the schedule's more difficult. You're playing the NFC South. You obviously have uh, a Tampa. Uh, you have games that are landmines on the schedule where if you look through the schedule now and project wins and losses, it's hard at this point to come up with enough wins to make you playoff team. So that's why I would advocate aggressiveness and free agency. And eventually, yes, you're going to have cap problems, but the hope is that the new TV deals 
which are going to be announced in the next few weeks, will ease those problems because the cap, after falling this year from 198 to about 180, is eventually going to go up a lot, perhaps as early as 2022. And the reality of it, Barry, is that, you know, the cap problems, you're looking at a two-year window anyway. Because, by the way, all those guys that they, you know, spend uh, a quarter of a billion dollars on last year, um, their their out windows are at the end of this year or prior to next year. So if Kyle Van Noy doesn't perform again, you're not going to have too many cap problems with Kyle Van Noy. If Byron Jones, who is, I think right now, the fourth highest paid cornerback or fifth highest paid cornerback in the NFL, he was the number one paid cornerback in the NFL when he signed with the Dolphins last year. If he comes up with another one interception year, you're not going to have too many problems with Byron Jones's, uh, you know, a contract at the end of next year or, you know, 2021, because you're going to move on from those guys. They have to play up to the standards of their contract or they're not going to be playing under those contracts with the Miami Dolphins. So cap problems, schmap problems, whatever. <laughs> do what you need to do now to compete, I say. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'd be looking for help. Besides receiver and front seven, which we talked about, I'd be open to running back. I'd want to gauge what Aaron Jones is looking for. We, we know there's interest on both sides, but there is a certain point I would not cross because at some point, whether it's a $10 million, $11 million a year, you start wondering about value and you ask yourself, can you get a player who you think is going to be good at 36, whether it's Najee Harris falling to that point, whether it's uh, Javante Williams from North Carolina uh, one area, Armando, that I wouldn't aggressively pursue help in is offensive line. And I'm curious what you think about this. I might be in the minority on this, but I would be fine with the same five coming back for this reason. I think it's too soon to pull the plug thinking about Jackson, Hunt, especially in Kinley, as starters. I think you need a more extended period to see them as NFL starters. I'm fine with Karras returning. We'll see if the sides come to terms. Obviously, you've got uh, money invested in Eric Flowers uh, in year two of his contract, and you've got a very serviceable uh, Jesse Davis who can fill in as a starter or be your sixth man. So even though clearly the offensive line wasn't great, it was probably average at best, I'm comfortable with investing another year in them simply because I think you can't judge offensive linemen as quickly as, as some other positions. And I do think there's going to be natural growth with Jackson, uh, with, uh, with Hunt, and with Kinley. Well, I also think there's going to be natural growth with the quarterback. Uh, we got to remember, last year, that offensive line gave up, what was it? I think it was 20 sacks of rookie to a Tonga Bailoa, but only 13 sacks of veteran quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Why? Because veteran quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick recognized defenses better. He he reacted quicker. His instincts were more on on um, display. He was able to play faster, get the ball out quicker, and read quicker. It's time for Tua to do, start doing those things, and that naturally cuts down on sacks. It, it, 
it helps the offensive line when the quarterback is good. I think Miami Dolphin fans who are too young to remember should probably look at what Dan Marino did once upon a time. That guy with, you know, two schlubs and a couple of players, they went like two seasons without allowing a sack. And why was that? Was it because they were great or was it that the quarterback got the ball out super fast? I think it was the latter. Um, So, Look, I'd love for them to upgrade at center, okay? Uh, Karras, good, not great. I think there's going to be a better player out there. I don't know that they're going to be able to afford him in, in Andrews from the Patriots. But you've got to let these young guys develop. It, you can't be redoing the same, retracing your steps year after year after year after year. And now people are going to say, but Mago, what's up with you're talking about Deshaun Watson? Well, that's not a retrace of the steps. That's an upgrade to the nth degree. I'm not saying draft another quarterback. I'm saying trade for an elite quarterback. So let's be clear about that. And, um, you know, I I was very interested in your great reporting, Barry, uh, about Jones from Green Bay. Um, the fact that the Dolphins are interested in him, and that blew my mind. <laughs> it just blows my mind that they would be willing to pay, a number one, willing to pay a running back. Number two, that they're going to, you know, uh, uh, help me. Talk me off the ledge. Well, I know they've told people that they really love the player. Now, to what extent – that translates into a mega offer remains to be seen. If they can strike a deal where the salary is something you could live with, meaning south of $10 million a year, the cap hit is not too high, then it's an avenue you at least have to consider because he's obviously an elite back, a career per carry average over five per carry. He's young. He hasn't been overused by Green Bay. He's only 26, so he fits the age prototype. So I do think it's something worth exploring, especially because Jones has interest in the Dolphins. Would I pull the trigger? To me, only if it's a reasonable deal. If it's mega money, which is obviously what he's seeking in free agency, I would wait to fill running back at pick 36. I'd be perfectly content with North Carolina's Williams there. Uh, ATN, if he surprisingly falls to that point, Najee Harris. I thought it was interesting. Mel Kuyper said yesterday, no backs are going in the first round, in his opinion, which means that at 36, a few picks into the second round, you're likely going to have a choice of top backs. So he would be the one free agent back I would give strong consideration to if the deal is reasonable. If not, I wait until the draft. Uh, I want to ask you about this position. I know this is something we've talked about off air. Safety. To me, this is as big a quandary as anything on the roster because the Roe-McCain pairing, by all accounts, was very competent. Roe played well against tight ends except for two of them, Kelsey Obviously had a big day against him. Darren Waller in Week 16 had a big day against him. But they had big days against a lot of people. But other than that, Rowe was very competent. McCain is a deep safety last year. Exceptional. Uh, barely allowed any completions against him. Was decent against the run. And, as we both know, great communicator. The team loves his leadership. But the thing is, their cap savings if you release either one. And second issue is, Neither is great against the run. Rowe, 
Uh, if you believe the pro football focus metrics, among the worst safeties in the league against the run, McCain, well below average according to those PFF metrics as well. So if you're looking for ways to upgrade against the run, that would be one possibility, upgrading at safety. It's a good free agent class of safeties. So if you're Greer and Flores, do you say we're good with McCain and Rowe, or do you at least consider another possible starter, whether it's someone in free agency or Brandon Jones? Yeah, that's a, that's a very meaty topic, and that's a great way to set up the table for the other side of the break. Before we go to the break, let me say one last thing about the Dolphins running back and Jones. Jones played a lot of years, in fact, all of his years in the NFL, with a quarterback that's pretty good. Uh, I think his name is Aaron Rodgers. And so defenses do not stack the tackle box against Aaron Rodgers because it's begging Aaron Rodgers to kill them. Uh, they get queasy at the idea <laughs> of stacking the tackle box against Aaron Rodgers. Thus, Jones has not seen too many seven- or eight-man fronts, certainly not eight-man fronts. It doesn't happen. Number two, the Green Bay offensive line is considered maybe not the best, perhaps one of the best pass-blocking offensive lines, but a pretty solid run-blocking offensive line, too. The Dolphins' offensive line is not that. And so... Whoever is deciding Jones has to plug in those facts and see if they translate to the Miami Dolphins. Because what we've seen and what we saw last year is what what looked good elsewhere didn't translate in Miami. Matt Breida was a playmaking machine for San Francisco, but here he was like... Got to be careful with the, you know, with the plug and play. Some guys are just not plug and play. And I'm not saying Jones is not. I'm just wondering if he's not based on the fact that he's had a very healthy situation in Green Bay in that he doesn't face a lot of tacklers. And number two, he's running behind a pretty good offensive line. Barry, let's take a break. And on the other side of the break, we'll talk about everything you set up prior. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back. Star of the show, Barry Jackson. In for star of the show, Adam Beasley. Caddy of the show, Armando Salguero, carrying the clubs as always. Oh, boy. Um, Barry, you're a much better, you're a much better uh, driver than what Beasley is, but he's got you on the putting. What can I tell you? <laughs> It is what it is. Um, so the safety position, right? It's yes. um, it's an interesting quandary. It's a good query. It's 
it's good stuff that you're bringing. Um, look, Bobby McCain is there to do mostly one thing. Don't get the secondary blown up deep. Don't get beat deep. Communicate and make sure no one gets behind you. And he's done, by all accounts, a good job doing that the last two years, has he not? He has. So I know that the run-stop grade on him is not awesome. The guy's lighting up 20 yards from the line of scrimmage. <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, I can live with this. Uh, but what you can't live with is either bad communication or bad deep safety play where the other team gets behind you. Last year, if you remember, Bobby McCain was hurt in the Kansas City game. He was actually hurt like two or three different times. The one time that he was hurt, uh, they put Clayton in the game. And what did we see immediately the next play? Attacked. They they went over the top of the Dolphins' defense, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes threw a bomb, and Clayton Fagella the Dedalum was caught looking at a Kansas City receiver catch a 50-yard touchdown over his head. Bobby McCain is there. That doesn't happen. And so the idea of cutting Bobby McCain for, what is it, a $2 million cap? Uh, it'd, be, it'd be more than that. It, it'd How be much? more than that. And I, I, I think my thinking is like yours. I would give this tandem another year just because, as you said, and your point's the most important one here, they did not get beaten deep, which is thanks largely to McCain. And except for Waller and Kelsey, Rowe did good work against tight ends. So I would give them another year, but I don't think it's a clear-cut decision. I think it's something the Dolphins have given thought to. And also, are you ready to entrust Brandon Jones with 40 snaps a game. He obviously has speed. He's a good tackler. I still have major questions about him in coverage. That's a that's a great point because, look, we've been sold the we're going to build the right way, we're going to build through the draft. At some point, your draft picks need to start, as Bill Parcells used to say, the pups need to start biting. Um, and so Brandon Jones was a third-round pick. I don't believe you pick a guy in the third round to play 24 snaps. That's just not right. That doesn't maximize your draft. Uh, at some point, that guy needs to be a starter. Right, and see how he does in coverage. His coverage numbers were not great at Texas. Allowed a high passer rating against same in Miami last year, but he does have skills that the Dolphins clearly like. He's probably their fastest safety. He's a sound tackler. He's their best safety uh, in uh, run stopping. So there are assets there that you probably want to see more, but I'm not sure I'm ready to see him as a starter yet. Now, with corner, I want to ask you about that. I think one change we're going to see next year is I think Noah is going to be given a chance in the slot to compete against Needham. And Needham was solid last year. He was awful in the Buffalo finale, but in the first 15 weeks, he was an above-average slot corner by any statistical measure, and he's cheap this year. He's going to cost only 850000 So the question is, is that top four, is that the group you would return with? Would you think of adding another veteran? And, of course, the big question looming over corner, Armando, <laughs> would be this. Uh, what do you do with Xavier if... 
he's unhappy with how the resolution is of his uh, of him asking for more money this offseason. What do I do with Xavier? Xavier, what do you want? Okay, <laughs> I think it's going to be like $4 million more a year. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> That's how like, I handle it. I mean, I I would be in that. Look, uh, I think I'm a, a, a hard butt um, on players who are middle-of-the-road, middling-type players or not quite proven or not there. But show me a great player. Show me an elite player. Show me a player that is proven, and I'm caving and giving and paying him. I, I just am. And yeah. and Xavier Howard is that guy in my estimation, is he not? Oh yes, and there is certainly a case can be made for any owner to reward excellence. And I know some people say, well, you don't want to set the precedent of giving guy more money with four years left on his contract. But I would counter that by saying if a player does something historically rare or reaches a, a level that's just truly extraordinary, like Xavier did last season, I would think that it would be, if not incumbent on the owner to reward him, even if he has years left on his contract, I think it would be recommended because I think that makes the case to players. If you do something truly exceptional, uh, we will reward you for it. And it also can be done in a way where the cap hit does not increase this year. They can restructure the contract to some of his base salary turn into a prorated bonus. So you could both give him another five to 10 million in his pocket and lower his cap number. So I'm like you. I would. Uh, and I don't want to say the verb cave, but I would certainly relent to his demands and give him more money because I do think he's earned it. A much superior SAT word, relent <laughs> over cave. Very good. Now, by the way, Barry, uh, this is a problem of the Dolphins making, okay? Yes. This is a problem that they created last year. By paying Byron Jones what they paid him, paying a, a player who is not as accomplished as the guy that they had in their own locker room, they paid him more, and thinking that the guy who is more accomplished in their locker room wouldn't notice. That is ridiculous. I mean, look, you make more than anybody at the Miami Herald, <laughs> and everybody knows that you make more than everybody at the Miami Herald. The entire earth knows that you are a multi-millionaire. Everyone knows, and we all are trying to attain your status. No, your, your point is great. And in fact, I, I explored this issue in a column in December. What was so mystifying about the Jones move, and I say this with all due respect to, By to Byron, who's a first-rate person, he's a quality corner, He's durable, obviously missed the two games early last year, but he's generally durable. So I don't mean this as any disrespect to Byron Jones. But the point I made in the column in December was there were quality cornerbacks available at half the price. Kendall Fuller played really well this year for Washington. He was available at four years, $40 million. Logan Ryan, as you know, Armando, he was out there all offseason. And yes, he wanted $10 million a year. But if you had given him three years, 30, you would have gotten probably close to the production at corner as he got from Byron Jones. 
I always looked at Brashad Breeland, even though he had a suspension to start last season, as someone who was comparable in production to Byron Jones. So you could have gotten cheaper corners and avoided this whole problem of angering your best player, right? That contract made sense if the idea was we're going we're gonna to replace Xavier Howard. That contract made sense if the idea was uh, Xavier Howard might not be around uh, in a year or two. Then that contract, with uh, coupled with the drafting of uh, Igbenogany in the first round, that would have made sense. But it doesn't make sense, and frankly, I still kind of don't understand it. You have one of the best cornerbacks, if not the best, certainly the most productive cornerback in the NFL, and you pay someone more than him, and now you've got the best cornerback tandem in the NFL, supposedly, and so you spend a first-round pick on a corner. And and the, the Dolphins' answer is you can never have enough corners, but the truth is you're right, but there's got to be a moment where you look at somewhere else and improve someplace else and understand that every move that you make has a ripple effect and has repercussions. No question. And as it turns out, even though Noah might have a bright future, he obviously has ball skills, he's athletic. Uh, Devontae Smith said he was the toughest corner that he went up against in, in the SEC. So even with all of that, Drafting the corner didn't help you last year, so you basically got very little out of the 30th overall pick, and I know other teams can say that, like Green Bay didn't get anything from Jordan Love, but the Dolphins went into that draft picking at 26, anticipating they would add a player who would help them last year, and that just wasn't the case. I guess my my other question on defense, Armando, would be this. The snaps that you know you're going to be replacing are Landon Roberts, and he started uh, for much of the second half of the season. You clearly could use a, a, a you know skilled edge rusher to complement Ogba and what Van Ginkle gives you on the edge. So what would be your priority defensively, knowing that a lot of the money, a lot of the resources this offseason are going to go toward the offense, what would you do defensively to upgrade? Are you looking inside linebacker? Are you looking another edge rusher? Yeah, and by the way, the money and the resources should go to the offense. No the question. The Dolphins are tilted towards defense. I think their spent their spending is ninety nine million dollars on defense and sixty million on offense last year. So and even for this year, that's that's the that's how the weight scales uh come out and you have to even that out a little bit and in fact, you know, that offense needs help. What would I do for that position? I don't give a crap about that position because I can put a body in there and he's going to run into some people. <laughs> it's as simple right. as that. In a 3-4 defense, in a hybrid 5-2 uh, defense, in an under defense, it's like, dude, you're an inside linebacker, and you've got another one over here, and you've got another guy over there, and you've got a nose tackle right in front of you. And uh, No, that guy needs to run into, into some tackles. And I know... They're going to say, well, we have to have the correct fits. We have to have the, you know, athletic guy, smart, tough, competitive. Yeah, fine. Everybody is smart, tough, competitive. All right? Everybody. Uh, McMillan, who you traded, smart, tough, competitive. The problem is uh, he was a two-down linebacker. 
Do you think that the Dolphins wish they had him back now? Do you, That's do a you, good question. Uh, yeah. As as improved as they were against the run in terms of overall yards allowed, one thing that shocked me last year, Armando, is they gave up the same yards per carry as they did in 2019. 4.5 per carry, which was 17th to 20th, tied with four teams, 17th to 20th in, in the league. So I think McMillan probably did have value as a run stopper, but in today's NFL, it's just so hard to have right. a player like that on the field who's a liability against the pass. The passing game is the thing. Everyone knows it. And so you need a guy that can cover. Get me some. And the middle linebacker is not going to be on the field anyway on passing downs, but you need someone to rush the passer. That's what I would think the biggest need for the Dolphins' defense is. They were, I think, 11th uh, in the NFL in sacks last year. But that's oh, mostly scheme. And that's relying on Emmanuel Agba having a career year. And as I wrote today, there's a certain gentleman that played last year in Arizona who's going to be available, had 12 and a half sacks. If you're going to improve that defense, the quickest and most obvious way to do it is to improve the pass rush. No question. And I think we'd be somewhat comfortable with the Dolphins returning with basically the same starting group minus Roberts, uh, you know, which essentially would be Wilkins, Raekwon Davis, Ogba as your three linemen in a 3-4 front, and then linebackers, obviously, Baker and have Van Ginkle and Lawson as your primary outside guys. So that group is decent enough if you add some quality depth, but I do think it's enticing to go after a higher-priced addition if you clear the cap space like a Hassan Reddick uh, or someone like that just to protect yourself in case what we saw from some of these defenders last year turns out to be not reflective of what they are. I think we all hope that Ogba's a nine-sack guy going forward, that Van Ginkle is a five-sack disruptive guy going forward, but we, we obviously can't be certain of that. So adding a player like Reddick certainly would protect yourself uh, if those guys ended up having career years last year, and also just to make it better against what's going to be a more difficult schedule. And, and you know, Barry, I can't get away from the the moment in before the 2019 season where I was in Brian Flores' office and I asked him, what are you going to do about the pass rush? Because I had eyes and I saw that they didn't have, you know, a lot of pass rush talent. And they had just failed to lure uh, Jadavian Clowney in as a free agent. And his answer to me, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, we'll scheme it up. We'll create pass rush with the scheme. Hmm. And that's his mindset. He believes that his scheme can overcome not having a game-changing pass rusher. He believes that you can come at people in waves with, you know, three or four, five sack guys, and you don't really need the 12 to 15 sack guy. I would say respectfully to Brian Flores, who knows and has forgotten more stuff about football than I'll ever know, respectfully, talent is irreplaceable, and elite talent is is the most valuable thing that you need. And if you can find an elite pass rusher, your team is going to be way, way, way better. No question. And that's why it's also critically important 
that they have sound evaluations on the two kids in their backyard. Greg Rousseau, the UM defensive end, Jalen Phillips, the UM defensive end. Quite possible that both will be there at 18. Certainly it's likely that at least one will. You might be looking defense if you end up having that pick come April 30th. Uh, or April 29th, I should say, if you haven't traded it for Deshaun Watson. So you need to have a conviction about what those two guys are. We know Rousseau can get to the quarterback. 15 and a half sacks in 14 college games. Phillips showed flashes last year. The question is, is Phillips strong enough against the run? Is Rousseau strong enough against the run? And also, as Kuyper said on his call yesterday, he was concerned that Rousseau seemed to get some of his sacks as covered sacks and he believes that 15-and-a-half number was misleading. So they're going to be rushers there at 18. Quiddy Pay, another one from Michigan, who was a bit of an underachiever from a pass rush standpoint. So that's another way to add a front seven defender this offseason. Uh, the Notre Dame linebacker with the extremely long name. He would be an option there as well. So that might be as much of an opportunity to add a front-line defender as any chance you're going to have this offseason. Well, you covered the University of Miami. Uh, one of the many hats you wear at the Mighty Herald is uh, you cover the University of Miami as well as the Dolphins, as well as the Heat, as well as uh, Inner Miami or Outer Miami, whichever one that is, as well as the Panthers, as well as the Marlins. So you give me the the, the Barry Jackson, you know, report on Rousseau and Phillips. What? Which one do you like? I, I like them both. I would lean toward Rousseau because you see the elite skill there with the pass rushing. And I do have questions against the run. Uh, the guy who he's been working with, local noted trainer Pete Bomarito, told me last week that he has bulked up. He thinks he's going to be an effective player against the run. But I would lean that way just because anytime you see an elite skill, you're ready to pounce on it. Now, I can tell you with Phillips, there's elite effort. Uh, I think he's going to be a good starting NFL defensive end, but I was concerned by the fact that he was part of that UM defense that was run over against North Carolina, allowing nearly 800 yards on the ground. So that, that has to be some concern, even though it was only one game and even though Phillips otherwise played well. So I'd lean a bit toward Rousseau, and certainly if he's there at 18, and he may or may not be, uh, probably 40% chance he's there at 18, I would give him strong consideration. But I think one area of the draft where you and I might disagree a little bit is I know you'd love to double down on receiver at 18. Uh, I would lean more toward defense at that point, and it would probably have to be front seven because there's no safety in that 18 range. There are corners, but you certainly can't justify taking another corner. So I'd be thinking defense. If there's no player that you love there at 18, maybe I'd trade down just a bit. Rashad Bateman. Just saying. Yes. And and, uh, one name also. I know Bateman was in your initial uh, Mondo plan for the offseason, but another name you'd have to look at at 18 if you do double down at receiver is the Gator receiver, Tony. Right? I mean, he's right in that range as well. Yep. This this show has basically turned the Dolphins – off season into and I and I if memory serves we've added pass rush in both the uh, free agency and in the draft we've added a running back we in both free agency and the draft we've added a veteran wide receiver a couple of rookie wide receivers we've added a middle linebacker 
and we kept everybody else. We, yes. we kept and Eric Rowe, Bobby McCain. We kept everybody, and we paid, and we paid Xavier Howard. And, and I'm going to get Steve Ross on the phone because I need his PayPal account to pay for all this. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Although I must say, Barry, our team is going to rock. No doubt. <laughs> Hey, we want to thank you for joining this edition of the Dolphins and Death Show. We are here every week. Want to thank you, Barry Jackson, for stepping in for Adam Beasley. As always, a pleasure, my friend. Thank and, you. Uh, go ahead, bro. Take your take your victory lap. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. I look forward to uh, to pinch hitting for Adam in the future, and even you when vacation comes around for you in late June. All right, so uh, join us again next week and appreciate you, Barry. Love you, brother, and we'll talk to you next week.